I could not imagine if one of my kids wrote that. But it's reality. And uh, tonight's going to be a little different than what we're used to. We're going to talk about just culturally where we are at, opportunities for the church to shine. But one thing that I really want us to get, those of us who are fathers, to really grab hold of the high calling of what we've been entrusted with. Also, uh, pray that future fathers, that you can put this in your mind and let it marinate and become rich for someday when you are charged with this high calling. Also want it to be something for the wives and and mothers and and mothers-to-be to come alongside us who are currently fathers and those who will be fathers in the future to encourage us in a healthy way to rise up to our calling and also us as a church, the opportunity to be a light in a very dark cultural blight that we are all experiencing. I don't sit here tonight uh, telling you, look at me, I'm the perfect father. It's far, I'm far from the perfect father. But what I would like to do tonight is, is to really show where we are at as a culture and, and to really look at what I call the degrees of fatherhood starting at, at its lowest common denominator and, and moving all the way to a godly father and ultimately our heavenly father. I got to tell you, this week has been difficult as I've I've read a lot and been, quite frankly, enlightened to the state of not only the American culture, but really globally what is going on uh, with fatherhood and really fatherlessness in, in, in culture and the devastating effects that, that are happening because of it. And... I believe that we just don't have an option here. That, that, you know what, we need to put a stake in the ground and, and say, you know what, we will not yield. We will stand up as a church and we will take ownership of this and we will close the gap of the cultural kind of decline that, that has happened due to the brokenness of missing this. I want to share with you a little bit about the journey uh, that I've been on and uh, some statistics about father, fatherhood or fatherlessness, really, and, and the impact that, that it makes. Um, 
I'm going to be talking about quite a lot of, uh, of, of facts and statistics and just to let you know, I uploaded all these to my blog this morning and put all the, all the sources, so you, if you're interested, you can check those. Um, but for the purpose of tonight, I'm just going to read you some of these as a, as a starting point, as a, as a point that shows really how important it is for us as a church, and especially fathers, to take this seriously. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. 80% of rapists come from a fatherless home. 71 of pregnant teenagers come from a fatherless home. 63% of youth suicides are from a fatherless home. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorder come from a fatherless home. 90% of adolescent repeat arsonists come from a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts come from a fatherless home. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from a fatherless home. 85% of youth in prison grew up in a fatherless home. And obesity of fathers increased the risk of obesity for their children by 400%. Fathers, we have a role. And the most, the scariest statistic out there is, is this next one I'm going to share with you. 43% of all children in the United States right now, 43%, four out of 10 kids, you see 10 kids, four of them are living in a home without a father. Just to ratchet that up a little bit, just, you know, what's the trend? In 1960, that percent was 11%. It's up over 400% since 1960. Just to kind of put a face on this and just kind of to bring some context to it, I was born in 1969. So kind of the world that I was raised in where most, most kids, uh, you know, nine out of ten kids that, that were being raised in a two-parent home and these statistics that I just read you really weren't the reality. But these statistics, we are on just the beginning of seeing what, what the decline of the family and the absence of the father, what impact that is going to have in our culture. And to this generation and the following generations, and unless we stand up 
and say enough is enough. That, you know what, this is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's not society that ultimately pays. It's the kids. It's the daughters. It's the sons who never even get the chance to live out all the potential that they have in them. One thing that really struck me, and this is kind of a redemptive thing, and this is for our parents, you know, for the dads especially. You know, the new dads, dads-to-be, for, for us who've been dads for a while, that, that if, we, uh, if we spend 105 minutes, if we invest 105 minutes, that's an hour and 45 minutes, with our children a day, that that basically gives them a fighting chance to, to go against all these statistics, that that, uh, that brings them to a place that they have enough investment. Another interesting thing that I saw that every minute or every 50 seconds that a father spends with their children over 20 minutes a day decreases their, their risk of being a statistic by 1%. You know, in the 80s, you, you heard a lot of this uh, kind of speak about, you know, scheduling quality time with children. Yeah, children need quality time, but they also need quantity. They, they, they need their dads. They need their mothers. It's Father's Day, so we're talking about dads. They need us to be there. And you know what? Those of us who say that we are followers of Christ, those of us who say that, that we uh, are trying to live up to the vision that our Heavenly Father has for us, that you know what, tonight maybe some of us just need to repent or make some major changes. I understand and I, and, and, uh, that there are obstacles and challenges, and uh, I, I thought about four major challenges that that I face, and, and, you know, there's no, like Eric was saying, there's no perfect father. I'm not a perfect father. Dan Meyer's not a perfect father. Uh, there, it's just, you know, we're human, right? And, th- and I'm telling this, you know, to those of us, we're all children of, of somebody. And, you know, there's a point where we just have to give grace, right? And, and, and forgiveness, but also, I want to give you some understanding of some of the obstacles that, that fathers face. And, and these are four obstacles uh, in my life. And I don't know if these are common um, to the other fathers, but these, these are four that, that I feel like I face. And I want you guys to understand it, who, uh, who maybe have something against their father or have some bitterness, but also for us dads or future dads to understand, hey, these are obstacles that... Are, are against me being a biblical father, a godly father. And the first one is uh, work demands. You know, there's just the reality that, that we go to work. And uh, a lot of times we put that ahead of our wives and our children. It's an obstacle. Work is important. Work is honorable, but it is not the reason you exist. 
selfishness. You know, a lot of times you just want to do what you want to do, right? You just want to you want to go and you want to you want to work in the shop or you want to uh, go out with the guys or 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 do something else. And I, from age zero to whenever they go off the college, you bring a life into this world. And this is this is opinion. You can take it. You can reject it. You give up the right to be selfish. You put your wife and you put your kids first. Laziness, same thing. This is one that I really struggle with. It's actually, it's, I've got a lot of feedback today. Oh, man, we haven't even got into it yet. <laughs> so, uh, and, but one thing, like, I can't see you being lazy. I can tell you, when I'm lazy, I'm lazy. Like, I, when, when, when the off switch goes off, it's off. And this has been a real struggle with me, especially uh, my son. He's very energetic. And, and lots and wants to spend a lot of time. And if you stop moving, he's going to try to bring you into his world. Uh, and, and one thing that's kind of developed is he'll come over, he'll see me sit down. And I swear it's uh, probably, you know, 20, 30 seconds. It, it all happens all the time. I'll sit down. I'll be like, and he'll walk over and soon I'll, I'll have him in my face. And he'll say this, Play? That's how he says it, too. Play? And honestly, there was a period uh, a couple of years ago when, when I was just like, later, later. And I was really convicted on this because, you know what? There's a time that little bugger's not going to come over to me and say, play. And this is my opportunity. This is my responsibility now to play with my son. And you know what, dads? We don't have the option to be lazy, especially when it comes to our kids. A biblical dad just doesn't do that. And then finally, pop culture. Popular culture has given us an excuse. Oh, it's okay. They'll be okay. Don't worry about it. All families are messed up. All dads are messed up. All dads are lazy and selfish and work too much. So you're okay. They'll, they'll, they'll manage. Other kids have, have made it through. Really? As men of God, is that the, the bar that we want for our children, that, that they'll make it through? God has entrusted you with a life. You know how big that is? You know the magnitude of that is? I remember when leaving the hospital with Madison, and they gave me this little girl, and they said, here you go. It was frightening. It was the most irresponsible thing that hospital has ever done in their life. In fact, if I could remember the hospital, I would turn them in. I mean, it's just... Like, we walk out, I'm like, I'm trying to, like, put this child in this car seat and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was just, I mean, it was, it, it, I had no idea. It was so overwhelming. And how that little girl is, is 15 years old. And, 
you know, starting to see like all the, the wonderful things and, and, and her reflecting some of the not so wonderful things that, that I have given her and, and her mother has given her as well. One thing is being a pastor for the past 15 um, years or so, that when I've been kind of looking at this, I, I was just kind of looking at a lot of my interaction uh, with people who are part of, of E3, and I'm sure this is true universally, that, that a lot of, of what pastors do is a result of, of just fathers missing the mark and not taking the responsibility seriously on a biblical level. And I, for one, don't want that to be the truth and the reality here in our church. And I have some ideas about that, but before we get there, I want to take you through the degrees of fatherhood, starting at the very least and going to the pinnacle. The first one I call the sperm donor. The sperm donor is not actually a father at all. In fact, culturally, it just blows me away the songs that I hear and and, and some of the the movies that I've seen that that, uh, celebrate the sperm donor. Being a sperm donor does not make you a father. It definitely doesn't make you a man. It makes you a boy who's hit puberty. And that's it. No more, no less. You can be a biological dad, but that does not make you a godly father. It doesn't make you a father at all. In fact, what we're talking about, and, and as you will see, that adoption is one of the most beautiful things. And, and, and in truth, we all adopt our children. They may be biologically related to us, but there's a point in our heart where we actually adopt them as our own. And we accept that responsibility. And that's what becomes a father, but more on that later. The next is really what this song was about. And what we're going to see with all of these are that, that they have glimpses of, of uh, being a godly father, that there's elements of them that are right and they're pure and they're, and they're just and they're elevated, but within themselves, they're ugly and destructive. And the name giver is just that. You know what? Names are a beautiful thing. One of, the, one of the worst trends that I have seen happening on Facebook is people dropping their last names and just going as their first names. I know a, a gal who's done this intentionally because she just doesn't, she doesn't want to carry the family name. You know, giving of a name is important. A name is an identifier in our culture, in the, in the Judeo-Christian culture, a name carries with it hopes and dreams for that child. A last name gives you identity and your, your origin and, and shows that you are part of something larger than yourself, upholding values. 
But a name in, in just itself is just that, is, is just a name. In fact, one thing that uh, I tweeted earlier this week, uh, that, that, that love is thicker than blood. This idea that, you know what, when we adopt, when we um, take ownership, when we go beyond just giving a name and we actually truly love a child, that, that we, we are forming a greater bond than just mere genetics. We are tapping into the supernatural. The next one is, is real close to me, the provider. When my daughter, um, after she was born and, and we kind of readjusted our lives a little bit, and I think it was around Father's Day, I remember coming home and uh, asking my wife a question, and, and her answer is actually one of the most painful answers that I've ever received in my life. I, I went to my wife, Shannon, and I was a young man, and I was trying to make my uh, name in the business world and, and working hard and doing all these things, and I remember coming home to her and just asked her, do you think I'm a good husband and father? And I was not prepared for her answer. She said, I think you are a good provider. That was like a dagger in my heart. I don't think she meant it that way, but it was like a dagger because I knew that God had called me to so much more than just being a provider. Yes, there's a biblical element to that, and that is being a provider is good and just and beautiful and godly, but if that's all you are, dads, future dads, you're not a godly dad. You're missing the full picture. Paul writes in 1 Timothy in chapter 5 and verse 8, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household have denied the true faith. Listen to this. This is shocking language, especially in the Bible. Have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. <laughs> what's, what's worse than not following Christ, neglecting what God has entrusted to you. It's scary, scary stuff. The next degree is we move closer to, to a godly father. And, and maybe, you know, dads, or um, that you're going to identify with one of these, and maybe this is going to be a point where you're like, wow, you know what? Something needs to change. Maybe for you who are about, you know, to someday be a dad, that you're like, you know what? I, I just need to hear this, and I need to defile this away. The next one is the general. 
I was exposed to this as a little kid, not in my family, but I went and visited a, a friend. And his family dynamic, especially his relationship with his father, was so different than mine. I only ever heard that kid say two different phrases to his dad. Yes, sir, or no, sir. Yes, sir, or no, sir. It was, uh, this man ran, ran his house like he was a general. Now, discipline is important. And guidance is important. But without a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship, that that discipline is, is just seen as, as an authority figure that, that is just trying to control what you are doing. And you miss the fullest picture of a godly father. The next one is, is the friend. And, and the friend... I think is born really as a, is kind of a new invention, this idea that parents and, and children can be friends. Like I'm 42 years old and my dad is still my father. And I think that there's elements of friendship there, but uh, as, I, as I've gotten older, but he's still my father. He still speaks wisdom into my, into my life, and I'm not his peer. And I really think this idea of, of friendship is, is really a codependent relationship, really driven by, by the parent. And it's born out of the, the father's need for friendship. And it's, and it's really sad because it's, it's depriving that child of what God has envisioned for him. That when I, uh, this is one of these kind of axioms that like when I'm, I'm hanging out with Eric that he really doesn't like. That, that, you know, he gets creative with the rules and a lot of times, you know, I'll be right there alongside with him and everything, but uh, I'm always, I'm always his father, and sometimes like he'll, he'll want to push it a little bit too far, and then he'll start saying stuff like, "Come on, mom will never know," or or things like that, and and I'm like, "No," and he's like, "No, let's 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 do it," and I and and I'm like, and he hates this. He's all like, "I'm your father first, your friend second. Now, how can I say that? This is how I can say that. The reality is, my son is going to have lots of friends throughout his life. He's going to have friends that come and go. Some are going to be his best friends. Some of them are going to be acquaintance. Some of them are going to be the fun friends. You know, you have fun friends. You have the, you know, kind of the, the serious friends and, and all this kind of stuff. But he is only ever going to have one father. And I have to take that responsibility seriously and be the one to train him up and do some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the next, over the next few minutes. The next one is the teacher. And, and this is where I think we're finally getting into kind of the realm of a biblical father. Like we're, 
we're, start, we're starting to chip away at, at, at the perimeters here. You know, you think about teachers, especially a good teacher. A good teacher goes way beyond uh, just teaching knowledge, right? That a teacher connects with a child on, on multiple levels and, and tries to encourage children and, and, to, and so they learn, but not only just the subject matter, but also learn about themselves and, and how to overcome adversity and things like this. And this is what a father is meant to do, is to be a teacher of their children. And here's, here's um, just, uh, it's, a, it's a bold statement, but I, I'm going to tell you that, you know what? It is not the school system's job to be the primary teacher of your child. It's your job. It is your job to be the primary teacher, not only to, to teach them about knowledge, but to teach them about where they came from and think, teach them about your values as a family and our faith. In Deuteronomy, talking about the law of God, kind of upholds kind of this idea that we're constantly teaching our children. It says, verse 7, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Talk about them when you are on a boat. Talk about them when you are with a goat. I mean, this idea that, that you are meant to be breathing these values and vision into them and being their teacher from sunup to sundown at every opportunity. The next one is the coach. A lot of dads are the coach, right, on a, on a sports level. Like, I mean, they've made... Endless amount of sitcom material has come out of Dad the Coach. And, you know, and, and, but I think that coach goes beyond just kind of teaching somebody the mechanics of something. A coach is a lot like a teacher, but kind of in an in a, in a active environment a lot of times. A coaching your kids through, through different adversities to, to help them push beyond where they think that they can go, to, to speak to them not only on a physical level but an emotional level and, and, and teach them about values of, of fair play and, and being a, you know, a good loser and, and a gracious winner and, and all of these kinds of different things in every aspect of life. You know, but sometimes with a coach, you know, you're so invested with your coach. And think about different coaches and some of the coaches that have made you mad. That sometimes, you know, coaches push you a little bit too hard. And, and actually, the, my kids, when I push them a little too hard as, as their life coach, as their dad coach, uh, they'll, they'll take a verse out of context and, and uh and shoot it back at me. You know the one I'm going to use? Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Yeah. They, they never quote the second part. 
Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. You know, this, this, this idea that, you know what, we as fathers, we as godly fathers, our goals should not be to provoke our children to anger, but rather discipline them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. The next one I've actually seen in practice, too, is, is the therapist dad. I've literally seen the therapist dad. In fact, uh, two friends uh, in high school that uh, both their parents were psychologists. And it was another bizarre kind of family dynamic where, where it was almost like going to your therapist when you went to their house, that, that they related on a, on, a, on, a, on a very professional level with their kids, and they would ask them questions that you knew that they would ask, you know, their patients and things like that. And that, that's this idea at the worst, but it, at, at its best is this idea that, you know what, fathers, you know, we're not just providers, we're not just coaches, we're just not teachers, but we're also meant to protect and, and breathe life into the emotional well-being of our children and, and teach them in those ways. In Proverbs uh, chapter 4, in verse 4, I really like the intimacy of these next two verses that we're going to use, but um, Proverbs 4, verse 4, My father taught me, take my words to heart. Follow my commands and you will live. And I'm going to read the second one in Proverbs 5, verse uh, uh, 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. And I love the idea of, of these intimate words that are being used. Son and father and counsel and, and bring take my words to heart, and painting a picture of what it looks like to be emotionally connected with your children, but also being a theologian, being the spiritual leader in your family as well. And this, again, can go both ways. At its worst, you know, you have, have this idea that, you know, some, some dads are, are disconnected from their children and then shoot Bible verses at them. And let me tell you something. The messenger matters. The messenger matters. Yeah, you may be telling them timeless truth, but if you're not an embodiment of that truth, if they don't see that you are trying to follow God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving others as yourself, that you are going to lose credibility. And we are called to a higher standard as dads, as fathers. Finally, the godly father. And I believe that the godly father incorporates all the biblical healthy characteristics of the ones that we've talking, spoken about, about being a name giver and a provider, a friend at times, a teacher, a coach, a therapist, a theologian, and wrapping all of these different aspects into one package of a godly biblical father. 
And if I can just kind of paint a picture that's real, kind of just simple, but really difficult at the same time. You know, our Heavenly Father, as, as represented by Christ, when He was asked, hey, what's the most important commandment? And think about this through the lens of a father. You know, what's the most important thing to teach your child, to raise up your child? Christ said, love your God with all of your heart, all of your emotions, with, with all of your mind, all of your intellect, with all of your soul, all of your spirit, and all of your strength, all of your physical being. And equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself socially. And fathers, these are the things that, that we need to give our children to teach them, to put in their hearts and their minds and their souls and coach them and, and, and love on them and encourage them and equip them and raise them to know what it means to follow Christ. Ultimately, our adopted Father, our Heavenly Father, is the ultimate example. And we are told in 1 John, in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, that, that we are to continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is the ultimate example of love. And love is not just letting your child do whatever. That's not love. Buying them things is not love. What is love is spending the time and taking your responsibility seriously of being their father being, being their, their counselor and being their, their, their coach and their teacher and their theologian, their provider, their name giver. And all of these things and encouraging them to live a life that is not only worthy of your family name, but worthy of the name of of Christ being called a Christian. Now, I want to circle back around. I had a really hard talk this afternoon with a single mother in our community. She's devastated. She said, I've been raising my son because her sperm donor using <laughs> left. And she's all like, I don't want these things for my son. And you know what? We as a church should not want these things for children either. And in Scripture, we're told as the church, one of our responsibilities is to take care of orphans and widows. And you know what? Our culture has orphaned a lot of children. And you know what? The primary 
spiritual reality is adoption. And I'm not talking about a, le- a legal adoption here. I'm talking about an adoption of the heart. And if I could see anything come out of today is this elevation in consciousness that our culture is on the wrong track and that we need to come alongside single mothers and to help them and to stand in the gap as a church. And that we as men and fathers, you know, yes, our primary responsibility is our wife and our children. But we are also part of the body of Christ. And we need to take care of these orphans and adopt them with an adoption of the heart. And that, I believe, is our call and our challenge. And I understand it's not easy. But I think for the body of Christ to truly shine, especially in what I believe is going, what is coming, this avalanche of this epidemic of fatherlessness, that we need to begin here at home and start preparing now and figuring out how we are going to love the children that God has entrusted to us. You guys pray with me. Dear God, I just pray for the fathers in this room and in our church to help us overcome the obstacles, to bring around us voices of encouragement to make the right choices. God, I pray for the fathers-to-be that they will be preparing now to pattern their lives after yours so they can be the most godly father possible. God, I just pray for the single mothers in our community who are playing both roles and, and, and trying to love and protect and their kids. And God, just give us the minds and the hearts and the eyes to see how we can come alongside them in a biblically healthy way and, and to help them, to help protect their children. God, I just pray for our country and our world as we continue to go the direction of the fatherlessness and all that is entailed with that. And just let your church stand up and shine on this issue. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.